0: This podcast of Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by BASF.
1: Cinex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn.
2: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. On this Good Friday as we head into the Easter weekend, and we hope it will be a, a very happy one for you, very safe one as well. Be careful. And we have a lot to talk about on this uh, show to wrap up the week because we have a lot of issues, a lot of things happening, and we want to get the reaction to all of them. Uh, we have a WTO ruling against China in favor of the U.S., and we're going to get reaction to that from the U.S. Grains Council a little bit later on. Um, we're going to talk about the USMCA report that is out from the International Trade Commission, which basically says it would be an overall win for the U.S. farm sector. We'll talk about that in just a moment. We're going to talk about dairy programs. And what about uh, this discussion of going to supply management? If, if Is is that something that the industry should really be looking at? We'll talk with the National Milk Producers Federation. And more on that, the meeting this week in Iowa on Flood Control and River Management of the Missouri River. We're going to talk with Blake Hurst, President of the Missouri Farm Bureau. All that coming up on today's program. But right now we started off with Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. We've been telling you about the uh, Farmers for Free Trade Motorcade for Trade. Well, they've taken uh, a break now for the Easter weekend they'll be picking it up again next week but let's get an update from brian thanks for joining us brian uh uh, what was the week like give us some of the highlights of this first week
3: well thanks for checking in mike and uh, thanks for for checking in with us when we were on the road Uh, this first week was was wonderful and a little bit of a blur at the same time we uh, as folks probably know by now we started last friday so a week ago in pennsylvania Had a wonderful kickoff event. Uh, Congressman Smucker, we had uh, Senator Blanche Lincoln, who's come on board as a spokesperson. A great farm event. Uh, We had uh, tractors and farmers and and members of Congress. It was a great, great crowd. Uh, We went from Pennsylvania to New York and had a series of events at farms in New York,
4: uh,
3: on down through Ohio, Uh, had farm events in Ohio, then up into Michigan been down into Indiana, and then we ended yesterday in Illinois, in Chicago, um, and ended the day with an uh, excellent meeting with a couple of the local congressmen from uh, from the Chicago area and a group of about 20, 20 uh, Illinois farmers. So really, really a wonderful tour. Uh, we've been on the move nonstop. Everyone's a little road-weary, but we, like you said, we've got a couple days off now for the Easter weekend, and then uh, we'll hit it again Monday uh, and be ro- rolling on through... Uh, Well, we go Wisconsin, uh, Iowa, Minnesota, North Dakota, into
1: Montana. Wow, you still got a lot of miles to go. And again, all this, of course, to call attention to the importance of uh, trade such as USMCA. And I mentioned this new report out from the International Trade Commission. I want to give a few more of the numbers of it, the findings of it, and then get some of your reaction. Um, According to this report, While it would be an overall win for the U.S. farm sector, it says it would allow for only slight increases in exports from some U.S. ag commodities. U.S. dairy, poultry, and egg producers would get a direct bump in exports to Canada, but Canadian uh, agriculture would get uh, benefits from increased access to the U.S. market as well. And the report goes on to say that... uh, When they considered only the market access provisions to the agreement, ag exports would increase $435 million. Imports saw an $80 million hike. And um, this uh, report says ag exports would uh, uh, benefit, maybe not a huge amount, but uh, somewhat. But one of the biggest beneficiaries would be U.S. dairy, which certainly could use it as they're going through through a tough time. So overall, a favorable report. What's your reaction to that?
3: Well, it sounds a bit. It sounds about right. Um, You know, I I think the important thing for people to remember is the most important part of the USMCA is that it continues NAFTA. NAFTA was a huge win for U.S. agriculture. Canada and Mexico have become two of our largest trading partners. In fact, depending on the year, our first and second largest, or first and third largest, we export about forty billion dollars in food and ag products every year to Canada and Mexico. So the most important thing about USMCA is that it continues that. You know, it, it cements that, it solidifies it, it takes away any uncertainty about it. That's that's really the gain, is that we're, we're holding on to what we have. As you said, the ITC report shows that we also make some incremental gains, you know, uh, uh, for dairy and for, for uh, egg producers, which are fantastic. Um, but really, again, the, the key is we're holding on to what we have and continuing to be able to export uh our products to canada and mexico
1: yeah and along those lines we've heard from the u.s chamber of commerce the national corn growers both saying don't judge this deal just on increased exports alone uh and as they they said as you just did that basically the real key here is it's a continuation of the north american free trade agreement that reduced ag tariffs to zero more than uh, two decades ago and the bottom line is that this deal is needed to keep those tariffs uh, at zero or or very very low certainly and uh, keep that trade going uh, all right so when you take that message uh, on your tour as you've been talking with members of congress do you find they are receptive and supportive of this
3: we do uh you know it uh, it obviously depends on the member uh, but but we found pretty broad spread support now there there are some members who say, in fairness to them, they haven't seen a bill yet. And that's right, that the way this process works, first, we had to see the ITC report, which came out today. Once the ITC report was prepared, then we expect the administration will deliver a piece of legislation to the Hill, a proposed USMCA bill. So a number of members have said, look, until we see the actual language, we can't say what we're voting on. And and there's some sense to that. But we kind of feel like now the ITC report's out, we're going to see the bill. This thing's going to pick up momentum really over the next 90 days and uh, and really going to be important that everyone's engaged through the summer.
1: Yeah, this was really one of the steps in the process that needed to take place to really get things going. And as you said, this ought to start kind of kick-starting that process now.
3: That's right. Um, and... Uh, and I don't think anyone should take, take it for granted that this bill will pass Congress. I, you know, I think Congress is so polarized, people are squared off. You know, there, there are some concerns you hear about uh, labor provisions in, uh, in, uh, in uh, Mexico. That, you know, folks want to make sure that, la- that labor is on a somewhat equal footing with labor in the U.S. so that you don't have sort of an incentive to export jobs to Mexico. So there, there are issues that people are discussing and sorting through. Um, but I think I think for the farm economy and for agriculture, we really need to push and, and speak very forcefully and say we want this win, we want to see the steel and aluminum tariffs rolled back, and we want to see uh, USMCA passed
0: into law.
1: All right, Brian, well, enjoy the Easter weekend, and we'll check back in with you uh, next week on the second leg of your uh, uh, cross-country motorcade. Thanks a lot.
3: Well, God bless you, and have a have a happy Easter, Mike.
1: Thanks, Brian. Safe travels to you. All right. That's Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. Their motorcade will pick up again on Monday. Up next, we'll talk dairy programs, dairy assistance programs, and what about the the discussion some are having about going back to supply management or some form of it. We'll talk with the National Milk Producers Federation about that next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
5: Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions.
1: Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around.
4: Your local FS is member-owned, and that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS HiSoy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out-yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or high soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did.
6: Envision and high soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and week in review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa?
3: Play my flash briefing.
6: Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Or you can search for the American Ag Network.
1: This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill.
6: Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Recently, on Adams on Agriculture, plant-based burgers
1: are in the marketplace, and you shouldn't just dismiss these if you're a livestock producer or a meat eater. Let's talk about it with Eric Bowl. He is the Director of Public Affairs and Advocacy for the Missouri Farm Bureau.
3: They are serious about finding something that actually approximates real meat. That's the, the difference here is. You know, these Garden Burgers and Boca Burgers before were marketed towards vegans and vegetarians. They were not ever meant to take over part of the meat market. These are intended to take over the meat market. Their entire goal of these companies on their mission statements is to end animal agriculture. And that is what makes it really different is they've got big money behind this. It's high tech, and they're really getting close to getting it right.
1: For the information important to rule America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
7: Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're gonna go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you gonna do? You're gonna go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't. Because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
1: Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. With Sinex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape.
2: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
1: Well, we've been talking about this uh, ITC report out on USMCA. It's calling it an overall win for the U.S. farm sector, reforming biotechnology and phytosanitary standards and would allow for slight increases in exports of some U.S. ag commodities, U.S. dairy being one of those commodities that would get a direct bump in exports Uh, from USMCA. Joining us now is Paul Bleiberg. He is the uh, Vice President of Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. Paul, thanks for joining us. Uh, Certainly USMCA getting it passed, very important to the dairy industry.
8: It absolutely is. Thank you for having me on today this morning. And, uh, you know, we are very hopeful that USMCA can move forward in Congress this year. We have already begun making the case for the agreement's passage, and I think our view is that if implemented properly, uh, the agreement will enable us to make some inroads as it relates to market access into the Canadian market, and it will also preserve the access that we already have into Mexico's dairy market. So it's sort of very important from both of those perspectives.
1: Yeah, we've been talking about that. Uh, That's the thing about USMCA. Some will focus on what we gain. That's obviously important, but a big part of it is keeping what we already had.
8: That's absolutely correct. And I think given all of the dialogue in the last couple of years about different views people had on the original NAFTA and whether it worked, I think you know we felt that at least as it related to Mexico, there was a lot to like in the original NAFTA while there was a lot not to like as it related to Canada. So we see this as a, a step forward while also keeping the positives.
1: Well, Paul, obviously this comes at a time and, uh, when it's very much needed for all of agriculture, but in particular the dairy sector because uh, it's it's a struggle right now. And I, I wanted to talk about some of the dairy assistance programs that are available. There are more available now, and that some of them have been tweaked, hopefully improved. Uh, I want you to kind of give us a breakdown and look at what's available and how they can help dairy farmers through these times.
8: Absolutely happy to do that, and I think uh... – I'd start by saying we were very, very pleased with the Farm Bill that Congress enacted into law in December. It made significant steps forward in the dairy policy space. And uh, I've been doing producer meetings throughout the country this week, actually, and have spent the time highlighting the benefits the new dairy margin coverage program is going to have uh, for farmers of all sizes, really, but especially some much needed help for small and mid sized operations and it is a much improved program over the previous dairy program in a in a significant way because it's going to trigger at higher levels of coverage. This was a major reform that we had sought during the process and we were very happy to work with Congress with a number of folks in both the House and the Senate to secure a much better program that's going to trigger at higher coverage levels. It's not the kind of thing that's going to provide people a profit, but it's going to provide a meaningful safety net during the difficult times in a way that the old program simply didn't do that.
1: What's the reaction been to it? Uh, What kind of questions were you hearing from producers?
8: You know, I think the reaction has been very positive and very open-minded. You know, folks are wanting to understand the differences right now because the old program, you know, didn't perform as well, and so there's, I think, a little bit of skepticism as far as, you know, what's this new program going to be like and how is it going to be different? So our focus has really been, first of all, explaining those differences in a way that's, that's straightforward, but also doing so in a way that connects to the likelihood of the program triggering and making payments this year. We already know that the program was going to pay out in January and February at the $9.50 coverage level in such a way that if a producer signs up, the tier one production history for 2019, they're already going to more than recoup their full year premium cost in just those first two months of uh, of payments, and that's a very important point to make. Because if the program were still uh, limited at eight dollars as it had been before, it would have been triggering very little at this point. But we're able to point to folks now: look, this is going back to January one, first of all. So when it does open on June 17th for sign up payments for the year will be retroactive but when it does you're already going to see notable benefit and given that we anticipate the program is going to trigger for a good number of months beyond january and february that benefit will only increase
1: now this year they actually have multiple programs they can look at for assistance
8: that's right there's a there's a combination of changes that have been made in, in legislation over the last couple of years that relate to allowing new programs to come online but also removing some restrictions Around participating in multiple programs that already existed, so there there are programs dairy farmers will have access to now on the risk management agency side that they might not have had access to before. So one of them, very simply, is a newer program. It's called the Revenue Protection Program, and that's gotten considerable interest in the months since it came online. And that was able to be created and approved by RMA last year because Congress in uh, in February of last year passed a law that lifted the statutory. Cap that had been in place on all livestock insurance products. And so that was a very important step that Congress took in tandem with some reforms they made at the time to the margin protection program, which made that program work a bit better for 2018, as we saw evidence by the sign up. But as it related to risk management, we were able to get this livestock insurance cap lifted. And first of all, that paved the way for creation of the revenue protection program. And second of all, it paved the way. For uh, removal in the Farm Bill in December of a restriction that had existed before, that said dairy farmers could only participate in you know the Title One Farm Program or the uh, <clears throat> already existing Livestock Gross Margin Program for dairy, which is also run by RMA. You know, if you're a commodity farmer for other crops, you don't have that limitation. You can sign up for ARC or PLC, and you can also sign up for crop insurance. Dairy farmers have this limitation that, that they can only be in one or the other. So following the lifting of the cap back in february we were able to get this restriction uh removed working with congress and the farm bill so if you're a dairy farmer now not only do you have the ability to sign up for the newly improved dairy margin coverage you can sign up for the livestock gross margin program you can also sign up for the revenue protection program so the range of options that dairy farmers have is much greater than it was before even though a couple of these programs existed in one form or another they were, they were treated as mutually exclusive as far as the producer's
1: choice was concerned. We're talking to Paul Bleiberg, Vice President of Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. Paul, there has been some discussion in some sectors of the industry talking about perhaps we should look at going to uh, a supply management system for dairy. Uh, what is your reaction to that?
8: Well, I, I think I would say, you know, certainly from the National Milk Trade Association perspective, we have a lot of different voices in the association, and there are also a lot of different voices in the dairy industry at large. You know, our focus right now has been on delivering as, as tangible and strong policy gains for dairy farmers as we can possibly deliver. And to give a little bit of perspective, at least from my lens on this, you know, I, I was not at National Milk as an employee during the debate around the 2014 Farm Bill, but I was. A congressional staffer at the time for a House member from Wisconsin, who sat on the House Agriculture Committee during the 2012-13, ultimately 14 Farm Bill debate, and so I had a pretty good front-row seat to the debate around supply management and market stabilization that took place at the time. And as, as you'll recall, and many of your listeners will recall, you know, National Milk had proposed a, a version of market stabilization or supply management in that Farm Bill. Dairy processors were opposed, and there were a number of different divisions there. And you know the the end outcome of the twenty fourteen farm bill not only was there not an element of supply management, but the the safety net program that came out of it you know didn't turn out to be uh, didn't turn out to be as effective as as producers had hoped, and in many ways it wasn't effective at all and so I think we set out going into the twenty eighteen farm bill process to say, "Look, we've really got to fix this program and make sure that dairy producers have a workable safety net across the country." And I think we knew we really had to zero in and, and get those details right. You know, one one of the things that I felt as a staff member on Capitol Hill during that Farm Bill process prior was that so much of the oxygen had been taken up by the debate around supply management and whether it was good or bad policy that there wasn't a lot of discussion put in, at least for some folks, on the the details of the safety net. I think there was sort of a general agreement that people favored moving to the margin insurance type program and there were a number of details that had to be ironed out but you know and i I could be wrong but i wonder if it would have been a greater opportunity to hash out those details had it been the focus so i think going into this last farm bill that we just completed in december we felt it was imperative to make sure we came out of that farm bill with the best possible safety net we could have for dairy farmers of all sizes in addition to a setup that gave dairy producers access to multiple risk management tools for the question that we just talked about
1: all right. Well, the bad news is there's a need for these types of assistance programs. The good news is uh there are more available and they are improved from what we've seen in the past, right?
8: That's absolutely correct. The the dairy margin coverage program is a major improvement. It's uh it has higher coverage levels avail- available at more affordable premium rates, and it's also a much more flexible program in relation to, you know, how much producers have to cover and how much they have to put in at different levels, and I think that's taken in tandem with the new revenue protection propo- uh, program in RMA, as well as the greater access now to livestock gross margin dairy. The removal of that cap there was very important for that program as well. And, you know, we're continuing to work closely with the Department of Agriculture and with Congress to make sure that the DMC program is implemented in a timely manner and in a farmer friendly manner. I think there's great interest on all parts in the House and the Senate and the Department of Ag in seeing the program move forward. Uh, expeditiously, so we're continuing those efforts and look to have more good news, too.
1: All right, Paul, thank you. Thank you. Paul Blyberg, Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation, here on AOA.
5: Throughout soybean farming regions, growers are going all in on Ingenia Herbicide from BASF. They know it's the most flexible and advanced solution of its kind for tough weed control, especially resistant weeds. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia Herbicide Weed Control Guarantee. And this year, you can tap into our expanded, season-long Grow Smart Rewards program. Get cash back for making the best agronomic game plan with Ingenia Herbicide and BASF's leading portfolio of soybean solutions. Want stronger performance and profits? Together with peace of mind, go to ingeniaherbicide.com to learn more. Grow Smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions.
1: Senex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.
9: Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around.
1: So you want to stay on top of the week's agriculture news and have it available at your fingertips? Well, tune in to the American Ag Network Week in Review podcast. It's 15 minutes of the week's top agriculture stories, published every Saturday and available anytime on iTunes, TuneIn, and Podbean. Or by clicking the link on our website americanagnetwork.com tune in to the american ag network week in review podcast to go more in depth on the week's top stories
6: time now for a market check here on Adams on agriculture i'm rusty halverson from the american ag network markets are closed on this good friday ahead of a three-day weekend the grain and oil seed sector closed in a mix a mix for livestock at the Merck, too Export sales of corn exceeding analysts' expectations this week, according to yesterday's export sales report. Corn sales 76% higher than the prior week's figure. Other major commodities said to be within expectations. Chinese buyers have greatly increased purchases of pork from the U.S. in the past couple of weeks. 23,500 metric tons of pork sold for export to China in the past week, according to USDA. That makes it over 100,000 tons of U.S. pork purchased by China in the past two weeks. The U.S. and China have tentatively scheduled a fresh round of face-to-face meetings as they seek to close out a trade deal. Top trade officials from the U.S. and Japan met earlier this week. Officials agreed to meet again in the near future. On Thursday's trading session in soybean futures, July was up a penny and three quarters at 8.94 and a quarter. November up a penny and a quarter at 9.13 and a half. July corn up a quarter of a cent at 3.67 and a quarter. December 3.86 and a quarter down a half. Chicago wheat July down two at 4.48 and a quarter. Kansas City July down a half at 4.25 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat September down two at 5.36 and three quarters cotton activity, July down 69 yesterday, 7827, December 7705 down 36. April live cattle, a dollar 60 higher yesterday at 12852, feeder cattle, May contract up 92 at 15152, June lean hogs up 62 9675. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Sometimes life is wonderful
1: Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. Sinex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn.
2: Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
1: Interesting meeting this week in Glenwood, Iowa, on... Uh, issues concerning management of the Missouri River. You had the Army Corps of Engineers, you had a number of uh, senators, you had a lot of folks there very uh, concerned about how the uh, the river is being managed, and one of those uh, at that meeting was Blake Kirst, president of Missouri Farm Bureau. He joins us now. Blake, thanks for being with us.
0: You bet, Mike. Thanks for uh, visiting with me.
1: What was your takeaway from that meeting, and what do you think was the message sent to the Army Corps of Engineers?
0: Well, the message, uh, there were two panels, and the first panel was the Corps um, sort of talking about what they had done and why they had done it. And the second panel was a group of people um, uh, up and down the river, a couple of them from Iowa, one from Kansas, and, of course, me from Missouri our message was pretty much across the board the same. They need to do better. Uh, These floods are happening more often, and they're worse when they do happen. Uh, We think there's reasons having to do with the management of the river that are causing that, and we need to fix it.
1: Did the Corps accept any responsibility for the flooding problems, or did they feel that it was beyond their control and it wasn't because of any of their policies or management plan?
0: Well, it's interesting what the Corps will say is first off, they'll say, well, flood flood uh, flood control, uh, protecting property and life. it's the most important thing when it starts flooding and so they always put that qualifier in there. in other words, uh, yes, they do everything they can possibly do once the flood starts uh they they, they were pressed on the question of, well yeah, but they've done more uh, before the flood, and it was interesting how the uh, general answered he said. Well, there is a lawsuit, which there is, as you know, uh, a bunch of farmers up and down the river suing um, uh, the federal government for basically taking their property. And And the first judge, the first court, found in favor of the farmers, and she said, uh, and the general quoted her, that uh, some of the steps they've taken to protect an endangered species have made flooding more likely. So I thought that was very interesting. The court did not say that. But they quoted the judge who said that, uh, and clearly that's what everybody who uh, lives and farms up and down the river thinks. They've changed the way they manage and protect the endangered species. People are paying the price.
1: Well, anytime you talk about river management and you talk about people along rivers, uh, they all you get a lot of different opinions on you know what's the basic use of the river or what it should how it should be managed, and you have different interests involved. Do you think any type of consensus has come out of this at all?
0: Well, you, you know, it, just, it, it is inevitable that the minute we get one of these floods, we get articles, particularly in Missouri's uh, urban center, shall we say, St. Say Louis Post-Dispatch will run an essay and it says, we just have to let the river run free and then we won't have any floods. I'm actually this morning driving along I-29, which is closed, I had to take a circuit through the country to get here. Closed for 100 miles. We were then six inches of overtopping the levee that the local nuclear plant on the other side of the river Brownville, Uh They would have had to shut down its river guns. We can't go to Nebraska. People are who work in, live in Nebraska, work in Missouri, and vice versa are scrambling for apartments to stay in. We've essentially disconnected. Uh, the central part of the country. But railroads are shut down, can't haul corn, because there's no,
4: no rail to
0: move the corn out. So we made the decision a long time ago to put infrastructure in this bottom. Roads, railroads, power plants. And we've got to protect that. And uh, and so we, farmers are important, And uh, but it always gets to be a farmers-versus-environmentalist argument. And what we never remember is the inconvenience that literally hundreds of thousands of people are undergoing now as they have to go through small towns on roads that were meant to carry the traffic that would have been on I29
1: I find that interesting you hear that argument made a lot well you, you shouldn't build uh, in those uh, you know, along those areas of the river that flood and you're just asking for this kind of problem but how you, you can't go back now i mean to try to take out all that uh, all that development i mean uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. hard to go back and uh, put the toothpaste back in the tube, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's impossible. We we made that decision over the last hundred years, and uh, now we've got to now we've got to figure out what we're doing wrong because we are. I mean, I've got um, neighbors who have been flooded four times in the last ten years. Levee breaks along in Missouri four times in the last ten years, and this one was the worst of all. Uh, filled Craig up in Missouri, filled Hamburg up, which is not flooded since the fifties. So we so we had. Sixty years of success. Uh, any project that works for sixty years and then quits working, it's not the pro- you know something has changed. Well, we found the bottom of the river, the channel to fill up, uh, which has basically lowered the levee protection we have, and now we have floods. We got to fix it.
1: We're talking with Blake Hurst, president of Missouri Farm Bureau. Speaking of levees, I know you've had a levee tour. Uh, tell us a little bit about that.
0: Well, we've got a um, hundred. Uh, starting in Iowa and going clear down to Kansas City, 100, 114, I think they said, breaks, uh, breaches, overtopping, breaks and breaches. It's going to cost a lot of money to fix it. Economic argument to getting it right the first time so you don't have to go back and repair this. So we're we're waiting on the Senate to uh, get their, their emergency bill passed. As you know, it's been filibustered. Uh, that needs to be done. Uh, we're trying to get a provision in there. There's 850. Grain bins that they've counted from the air that have have basically exploded from swelling grain inside of them, ruined all the grain there. And uh, we're trying. There's no coverage for that, and so we're trying to get some, some help for those farmers who who have last year's crop was ruined. This year's crop won't be planted, and next year it looks like they won't have levee protection and won't be able to get crop insurance. So they've got a three-year. Uh, it's not just a w- one-week problem. It's a three-year problem for those farmers.
1: I know uh, out of that meeting last uh, this week, uh, the Corps said that there's a backlog of uh, projects, water infrastructure projects, uh, what, some $98 billion backlog in projects, and about a third of that is made up of flood mitigation projects. Uh, any sign of that backlog breaking through and uh, that money getting out there to do some of the work that needs to be done?
0: Well, hopefully. You know, the one thing that... Uh... The one thing that I think is is to an advantage, and we need to do the best we can, Senator Gillibrand um, from New York was is on the Environmental Public Works Committee. She was at the hearing, so uh, she might have attended otherwise, but she's running for president, and she was in Iowa because of the caucuses. We've got, what, a dozen senators running for president. We've got a chance uh, that are going to spend some time in Iowa. We've got a chance to reach out to people who normally don't, Engage in these issues, and uh, we, we've got to make hay while the sun shines and thank God for the Iowa caucuses.
1: All right, as as you are, yeah, a chance to call attention to this issue—that's for sure. Exactly. As you're traveling, as you're traveling there on I-29, what are you seeing uh, as far as conditions?
0: Uh, the the I'm right north where the road is. Shut. You know, it's covered with debris. Uh, big sections that floated away. There's a couple of bridges that. Have had the uh, you know their supports undermined. Uh, it's, they're saying at least June before I-29 is open again. Uh, so it's just we're you know we can't get fertilizer in. Uh, we've got a barge stuck in in uh, central Missouri in the river um, that went aground and they shut the river down. Guys in central Missouri can't get fertilizer because the barges aren't running. Uh, we can't get it because the pipeline ends in right straight west of us in Nebraska. And instead of being a ninety-minute drive, it's a four-hour drive. So truckers are running out of you know they're they're running out of time of hours of service because it takes twice as long to get stuff here. So it's a.
1: It shows what we've talked about before that this is a long-term situation. It's not just going to be resolved overnight.
0: No, we yeah the the waters started to go down. Uh, still, a lot of the book underwater, but 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 on the edges, it's going down. But the problems are still here.
1: All right, Blake. So, uh, after you left that meeting with the Corps, uh, did you feel that it accomplished anything? I mean, did you think uh, you're able to get your point across? And I know the Corps was trying to get their point across. What do you think re- is the result of that meeting?
0: Well, we we need congressional action. Uh, as, as you know, my friend Tom Waters, who's kind of the um, expert on the river farms down in Ray County near Kansas City, uh, says that we've got to make flood control the number one priority. As you know, there's eight priority or eight, eight things that this project's supposed to 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 uh, accomplish: from flood control to environmental species to water supply, all those things. If we make flood control the number one, Congress needs to do this the number one priority. Uh, then then, a lot of our problems begin to be solved. And the core is in large part, you know, that they work for the Congress like everybody else in the government does. They do what they're told. Uh, they need to be told to do different things.
1: All right. Uh, well, the... Uh... The discussion continues on river management and will for a while, but uh, it was an interesting exchange of uh, viewpoints at this meeting this week in Iowa. Blake, thanks for being with us. Have a good Easter.
0: You bet. You too, and thanks for your interest in this issue. It's a big one.
1: Take care. Blake Hurst, president of Missouri Farm Bureau. So we'll see when Congress gets back in session after their Easter recess, can they uh, move forward on a disaster package um, not only for this issue but for past disasters that have occurred for some time some time ago, still folks affected by them still waiting for some assistance and hoping for some assistance as well. Well, we got a ruling from the WTO in favor of the U.S. and against China on wheat, corn, and rice. We're going to get some reaction to that from the U.S. Grains Council. That's coming up next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
5: Powerful, effective,
4: proven, tough, tough, consistent,
5: reliable. A lot of adjectives can describe a herbicide's weed control, but one only applies to Liberty Herbicide. Superior. Liberty Herbicide has no known resistance in row crops, more convenient application flexibility, and excellent control of key weeds. All backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Learn more at liberty.basf.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions.
1: Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
4: Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub, they require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with models starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited-time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852 thermospas hot tubs designed to improve your life call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of zero percent apr financing
1: recently on Adams on agriculture we're talking with iowa senator chuck grassley let's talk about trade in particular your differences with the, the president when it comes to the use of tariffs
3: now in the case of Mexico and Canada the president put these tariffs on to get them to negotiate the negotiations were successful from the president's point of view then the tariffs ought to go off they're still on the president's got to realize Mexico's not going to take it up Canada's not going to take it up we aren't even going to take it up in the United States Congress unless those tariffs get off uh, I don't know why it takes so long the economy's a little bit soft some success on trading be a big boost to the economy this may not be done this year and if it isn't done this year it's not going to be done in election year so the president needs to get off of it, uh, the pot and uh, start doing things that will help him and the economy
1: for the information important to rule america join us on adams on agriculture
4: i can't get my computer to work
1: let me help you with that
2: We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 855-801-2854. 855-801-2854. That's 855-801-2854.
9: Sometimes life is wonderful
1: Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape.
2: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
1: Well, the World Trade Organization, the WTO, has ruled in favor of the United States in its complaint that China has not lived up to pledges it made some 20 years ago to buy billions of dollars of wheat, rice, and corn through what are called tariff rate quotas, uh, TRQs. China agreed to set up a system of those TRQs uh, as part of its uh, entering into the WTO back in 2001, The U.S. claiming for many years now that China has never lived up to that commitment. And now the WTO has ruled in favor of the U.S. on that complaint. Looking at some of the numbers, according to USDA, if China had set up those TRQs, those tariff rate quotas, it would have boosted grain by $3.5 billion in 2015 alone. And it says that those TRQs were to be for all foreign grains, but U.S. exporters were expected that they would get much of that business. U.S. wheat farmers, especially, had hoped to see increased exports to China because of the uh, the quota that had been set for wheat—9.64 million metric ton quota. So, uh, this is a basically this is a ruling that looks back over about a 20-year period that China has not been uh, living up to the agreement, which was part of them getting into the WTO in the first place. Coming up on Monday, we're going to talk with Chandler Gould with the National Association of Wheat Growers and uh, get their reaction to this. But this this is obviously uh, a huge ruling in favor of the U.S. Now, we have to wait and see what China does. Uh, do they, uh, um, and does this impact at all? The negotiations currently underway with uh, a trade talk uh, after, uh, with the, uh, in the trade talks, working for some type of a trade deal. Now, after this announcement was made by the WTO, U.S. Wheat Associates President Vince Peterson urged the Chinese government to, as he said, come into compliance with the rules it accepted when it joined the WTO. He further said the world now sees that their policies stifle market-driven wheat trade block export opportunities and force private sector buyers and consumers to pay more than they should for milling wheat and wheat-based foods. Up until this year, the U.S. had not been able to export any rice to China, and China finally did open up to uh, some U.S. rice, including the approval of individual mills for export, Uh, but that was a long time coming, too. Rice... uh, like other ag commodities under these retaliatory tariffs that we have now um, are being impacted by this. So, but this really now is the second big victory the U.S. has had over China in the WTO. A lot of people um, question the uh, WTO, of course, and uh, whether or not we ought to be in it. But um, when the rulings come in your favor, then I guess we're, we we like the WTO Uh, More, But um, this is the second big victory against China in the WTO this year, and um, back in February, the ruling was that China exceeded WTO limits for domestic farm supports to improperly uh, boost their wheat and rice farmers with artificially high prices. So, you know... It's one thing to get a ruling in your favor. It's another thing to see if, in this case, China complies with it. And that's a big part of these trade talks going on now. If we get a trade agreement, will China actually comply to the agreement? And Just like we're waiting now to see, will they comply to uh, this WTO uh, ruling? Okay, we had hoped to hear from the U.S. Grains Council on this, but I guess we're not going to be able to uh, hook up with them after all. So we'll try to uh, get... uh, with them next week, but uh, they have come out um, obviously very supportive of this ruling as well, as it is a, a, a considerable uh, ruling for sure, if, as I said, if China does uh, comply with it. U.S. Grains Council say they support a decision announced by the WTO determining China uh, is in violation of the tariff rate quotas that they had uh, committed to. And uh, the decision is, uh, according to U.S. Grains Council, they said the report is an important acknowledgement that China has not fulfilled its obligations to allow for tariff rate quotas for corn to be filled while maintaining high domestic corn prices consistently above international prices. As I said, it's going to be interesting to see what impact this may or may not have on the uh, ongoing trade talks. Now, do they somehow try to... um, Work that in there to where they make up for what uh, um, they've lost or what we've lost over these years by them not making, fulfilling their commitment. Or does that just kind of get brushed aside as we look to move forward? Uh, It's going to be interesting to see uh, what part this may play in any deal that may be announced. And it sounds like a deal with China could be announced uh, here uh, very soon, perhaps as early in uh, as early to mid-May. So we'll wait and see. But this is a significant announcement to be sure. So a couple of big news items: uh, the WTO announcement on China, and as we mentioned earlier, the ITC report out on USMCA. These will be big, big issues uh, moving forward. Uh, on on these trade talks. Uh, as I mentioned, coming up on Monday, we'll talk with Chandler Gould the National Association of Wheat Growers because they do have a lot at stake here. This uh, lack of commitment by China to um, follow through on these TRQs has cost uh, the U.S. wheat industry uh, a lot, and uh, we'll get their reaction to this announcement coming up on Monday. And we'll also take a look at what uh, the market reaction could be Moving forward with this and all these trade talks as well, as we'll check all that coming up on Monday. Well, with that, we're going to wrap things up for today and for the week. This is, of course, a Good Friday, and we head into the big Easter weekend. And we wish all of you a very happy Easter and a good time with your with your families. You know, I was thinking about this uh, last Sunday when I watched the Masters. Like a lot of people, I really enjoyed the uh, comeback of Tiger Woods at the Masters last Sunday, but For the greatest comeback story ever, be sure to go to church this Sunday and hear about that story. Happy Easter, everyone. Thanks for joining us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.